Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. I'm broadcasting here uh, from Long Island, New York. As you know, the Sales Pro Network was founded to elevate the profession of sales, to give you a place to come and ask questions and get coaching and advice, to share your successes, your challenges. And every week we do an interview with fantastic guests. And today's is uh, no exception. Um, I'm continually learning more and more about myself. And uh, one of the things I like to think is that I'm very creative and I don't repeat myself, but I know I do. And so I'm going to repeat myself today. I'm truly excited to be introducing you to today's guest. I'm a big fan of coaching and today's guest is a coach. Um, I have a coach myself. Um, I gain a lot from working with my coach. And in the interest of full transparency, you probably heard me mention her. You're going to meet my coach today. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend and my coach, Liz Bentley. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, and thank you for that kind introduction, Jeff. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm excited to join you today. Well, I'm super excited to share you with uh, everybody in the Sales Pro Network, so I'm going to jump right in. Um, I'm actually looking at my questions, and the first one does, just doesn't seem appropriate. It's, it's what is coaching and how do people benefit from working with a coach? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a different question. You, you are a transformation. By the way, coach. you can answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're right. I absolutely For me. <laughs> so you're, you, you call yourself a transformational coach. What's the difference between a traditional coach and a transformational coach? Okay, so um, what I say is there's there's two forms of coaching. There's transactional coaching and transformational coaching and um, transactional coaching is where, and, and by the way, in most cases we do both. Okay. We do both, we would do both transformational and transactional. So transactional is where we're giving strategic advice where it's like, go left, go right, do a little more of this, do a little more of that. Right. And, and, and that's very helpful. I mean, and maybe more specifically in coaching, someone would come to you and you would say, well, why don't you rework your marketing plan and you could hire a salesperson and maybe you should fire your assistant because they're not working well. And that's very transactional. Right. And that's extremely helpful. And also it's holding somebody accountable. Like they say they're going to do something and then you hold them accountable to it. That's all transactional. Right. And that's great. Like that sounds so great in life, right? We all need that help and we need that advice and we need that perspective. Um, but what happens in life is when we go to do some of those things, we get stuck, right? So we say, oh yeah, your assistant isn't working and they're not good and you should really fire them. But then you can't, you just can't do it. And so instead you just start avoiding your assistant and and being passive aggressive to them and like not trying. And, and this happens to us all over in our life where something Something seems so simple to do, and yet we just can't do it. So that's when we need that transformational coaching, because there's something in us that's getting us stuck. And that's when we need to go inside the person and figure out what is in there that we need to grow, we need to heal, we need to shift in order for you to be able to do something that's going to really help you rise to the next level. And so, so that's that transformational piece. Got it. So... so so it could be you're having trouble losing weight or you're not getting uh, being successful enough in sales or anything else. So so the trans transformational coach gets into the kind of under the hood uh, exactly. and, and, instead of buying a new car. Is that, is that kind of what we're talking yeah, about? here? Yeah. Yeah. That you get in because we can all we can all get advice. Right. But it, taking it is really hard to do. I mean, as we know, and it's and, and we and some of it's easy. 
So we get some advice and we do it. And we're like, okay, I, re- I hired a social media person. I reworked my marketing plan and I started doing five sales calls a day. And that was like easy. It's like, boom, boom, boom. But then we get to the hard and the hard could be something so simple. Like what's hard for you, Jeff, and what's hard for me are totally different and vice versa. What's easy for you might be impossible for me, right? So when we get to the hard, that's where our real growth is. And that's where we need that transformational coaching because that's hard for us to understand. If it was easy for us to understand, obviously we would have already done it. Yeah, got it. And good morning to Steve Kent, Carl Hyman's. Good morning to you and good morning, Keith Ginsburg. And I think Dennis Lombardi, thank you all for joining us this morning. Um, you focus on helping people be the best version of themselves. And you, you, you've said that to me many times. Why would that help someone be more successful in sales? In sales, being the best version of themselves. Well, first of all, the biggest thing that gets in the way of your success, especially when you're selling, is your ego. Your ego is the number one thing that sabotages you. Now, what I mean by that is that when you're in sales, you're never selling a product. You're selling a person, okay? You're selling a human on whatever it is you're selling. You could be selling houses. You could be selling widgets. You could be selling cars. You could be selling whatever you want to be selling. doesn't matter what the real product is. I mean, it matters that you understand it. You've got skills. But the key is that you're selling another human. You're selling something to a human being who's got to make a decision on whether they want this thing that you're selling or not. And humans are complicated and you're complicated. And so usually what gets in the way is yourself. So you get triggered by people, you get thrown by somebody, somebody says something to you and and it hits you, it makes you feel uncomfortable and your ego pops out. And when your ego pops out, one or two things usually happen. You either shut down and stop speaking and, you know, feel badly and, you know, kind of maybe self-sabotage the situation, or you rise out and attack. And then you say something maybe you regret. And, and by the way, I want to be really clear. A lot of times in selling, people have recognized that they have these struggles. So they have stopped themselves, for example, from rising out and attacking, but their energy shifts. And just the energy shift is felt by the person in front of you. And by the way, that person can be on the phone, they can be on a Zoom, they can be in a text. They feel the shift in your energy and that subtle shift changes the trust. Mm, And once the trust is shifted, our ability to close the deal shifts too. So in sales, evolving into the best version of yourself means healing yourself so that you don't allow those sabotages. You don't allow those triggers to come from those people. And let me just clarify something around a trigger. A trigger is what we call those buttons, you know, that people put on their chest. You know, it's like, oh, you know, that person knows how to hit my buttons. You know, people create this visual of putting a button on your chest or somewhere in your body and that there's someone who knows how to hit it. Well, you're the one who put the button there. (laughs) No one put the button there. And you're the one who can take the button away. So there's no like automatic buttons. Any buttons on you are yours to own, yours to heal, and yours to remove. And there's no human that's pressing them. I mean, there are humans that are pressing them, but that's because you put them there. It's like walking around with a big button and be like, don't push this. (laughs) Yeah. It's like with my ex-wife, I mean... I know exactly what to do to push her buttons and she knows exactly what to do to push mine, but we each put our buttons there. And by the way, would you please, uh, uh, so that the, the sales uh, 
professionals uh, know you're not just this amazing coach. You do have a strong background in sales. Could you just share a little bit about what your background was in sales? Yes. So, um, so I was in sales for the first half of my career in media. I worked at CBS network. I sold for CBS sports. I sold primetime. I sold news. I sold late night, all the uh, main spots, um, which was really, really interesting job. I mean, the, um, you know, it was, it, we did billions of dollars in sales. So what we had, I had accounts where, you know, I had like Unilever <laughs> who would do 30 million in, in, in late night television or something. So it was really, it was really fun. We had really big accounts, really cool business. Um, and the big networks were really fun to, to work at. And then I went from there actually to Wired Magazine where I, I was a salesperson at Wired in selling magazines. Then that Wired was bought by Condé Nast. And Wired was fun because it was just an era where the dot-com and the internet was booming. And it was just a really interesting, fun time in life because we were watching this whole thing unfold and on the forefront of it. And then we that was bought by Condé Nast. So then we went to the grown-up building of Condé Nast from our loft downtown to and where I was promoted to become an ad director where I ran all of sales across the country. So I had offices in all the different um, major cities and that was interesting for a number of reasons. I, I was young at the time and I had people who were working for me at all different age groups, a lot of older people who are in their 60s and 50s and 40s. And I was 30 at the time. And also it was interesting because we were selling in all the different cities. So selling in Boston was very different than selling in Chicago versus selling in Atlanta versus selling in LA. So I had all these offices around the country and the culture in every office and the culture in, in, in each space was so different. And so that was, that, I also really enjoyed it for that reason. So it was great. It was a really great experience. And you not only do one-on-one -on -one coaching with uh, executives, but, but you also work with a lot of sales organizations now, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I mean, everyone's in sales for the most part. Like, you know, people are always selling. I I mean, in, in corporate America, I, I talk a lot more about influencing, like how we influence, like how we become influencers and what does that mean? Um, but if, before I talk about even that, I'd step back into saying that it, um, interestingly enough, so one of the areas that I do do a lot of work is in uh, real estate. And I coach some of the top real estate brokers in the country. I also coach a number of the CEOs who own real estate brokerages. And I coach in a lot in corporate America, as you know, as well. But what's in, what I was going to say is interesting about coaching the top real estate brokers. Obviously, they're in sales. These people sell over $100 million a year in residential real estate. So it's not your typical real estate broker. These people, you know, they're really have really complicated businesses and complicated business models. I, we never talk about selling. <laughs> I mean, I'm coaching them all around those buttons and that ego. It's very rare. I mean, occasionally we talk a little bit about selling, but that's just kind of an, like, these are the top salespeople in the country. And in some cases, the world, they're selling castles all over the world, you know, um, in some cases. So it's just saying, like, that's the point is that you want to, when you want to unleash your power as a salesperson, some of it's going to be transactional about your technique. And a lot of it's going to be transformational. Mm. I know I've heard you say more than once that uh, it, you don't really try to help people make more money, but they often do once you've helped them heal that, that inner stuff that they sometimes double and triple their, their uh, incomes. I think our stats say that 98% of the people have something like 30% growth in the first year and 
many people have doubled their income in, in one year actually, but we're not, that's not our objective. <laughs> that's just the benefit. <laughs> yep, I get the extra. yep. Uh, good morning to uh, Mike up in Canada. Glad you could join us. And uh, Fran down in Texas. Good morning, Lee Green in Florida. Look, John, I don't, I don't know where you are, John. I think you might be on Long Island, but good morning to you too. Um, I know that you have a background in competitive athletics because we've talked about this a number of times. How has that helped you? And what can salespeople who possibly perhaps have not had that background in, in sports at certainly at that level, how can they, how can they learn and use that? Okay. So the biggest thing, um, uh, um, the biggest thing you can learn, um, <clears throat> or the biggest struggle, it's funny. I was having this conversation yesterday with my team. The biggest struggle I see people have, um, is as adults in the business world that the, that they missed from being an athlete is learning how to lose. Now, let me be very clear. No one likes to lose. <laughs> I have spent a lifetime losing a lot and winning, thankfully too. Um, thankfully, <laughs> but um, but you really what you learn as an athlete if you really are a real competitor. And I, I did play it on the uh, the USA national soccer team, so I, I did play at a very high level and, um, and, and was a real competitor, let's say. Uh, and I played two division one sports in college that were both top five in the country. So it was, it was, I really competed, but I lost a lot. Okay. And you never like to lose. And I still don't like to lose and I still compete in sports. And, but, um, what you learn as an athlete is how to lose. And that losing doesn't make you a loser. See, that's the difference. Losing doesn't make you a loser. It's just part of the journey. And what I see in a lot of adults who didn't spend a lifetime losing <laughs> like I did, they didn't have the good fortune of getting to lose all the time. Um, they, when they lose, they turtle. You know, they go inside their shell because they're afraid of seeing the weakness. They're afraid of seeing their vulnerability. They're afraid this means they're not good enough. They don't realize, oh no, this is just the journey. This is just the road, right? So um, losing is just feedback. That's just feedback from the universe telling you here's where you need to grow. So, and if you talk to anyone who's a great competitor, if you talk to the number one tennis player in the world, they're going to tell you, oh yeah, I spent a lifetime losing <laughs> and yet they're the number one tennis player in the world and, and brutal losses this year at the U S open. God, this was the worst record anyone has ever set. The person who lost the U S open set the record for being the only, the first person in 70 years to have won the first two sets in the U S open and losing the championship. <laughs> a poor guy. <laughs> and yet, you know, I'm sure he, you know, he, he'll, he'll, he'll survive and come back and, and win it next year. Likely, I bet. I would put my money on that. that that's the journey. So, so, I mean, I know you went to a top school. I'm very proud that my oldest daughter goes to that same <laughs> school. And you, you know, competitive to get in there in these competitive sports. Uh, so how do we, uh, and you and I have talked about, you know, how Olympians look at failure. And you've talked about, maybe it's worth talking about, you know, you've talked about moving up to the next bench. Can you speak to that a little bit? So I always said, and um, I've, I've always said as, as an athlete, what happens, and this happens in life too, right? 
is for executives, or this is what you want to have happen, right? So you're, and as an athlete, you make a team and you're on this team and like, you know, eventually you get your starting position. And then you, if, if you're, if you're really working on your game and working on yourself, you, you become one of the best players on the team. And then what happens is you get pushed up to the next level. You get pushed up to the next team. So in the corporate world, you get promoted, right? And so then when you get pushed up to the next team, a lot of times you're the worst player on the team again. So now you're sitting on the bench and you're kind of like, I want to get in the game and I want to get in the starting lineup. And you're kind of watching the field and you're, you're watching your position because someone's in your position and you've got to beat them to get that spot or you've got to, or you've got to find another spot. You've got to get in there. So then in, you know, after practice, you need to practice yourself. You got to keep honing your skill and making yourself better. So you put in extra time, like you practice all day, but then you realize I'm still not as good as everyone else. So I've got to spend more time on my skill. Okay. So a lot of times, and I had, you know, I had a call actually this past January where one of my clients was promoted into a really big job. He got a really, really big job and he called me and he said, Liz, you know, um, he said, I, you know, I'm working, I'm working seven days a week. I'm working seven days a week. I'm working so hard. And he was describing to me. So the first thing I did is I said, how are you doing emotionally? He said, I'm good. I said, do you feel any sense of depression? No. How's your happiness level? It's good. How's your energy? How's your sleep? I checked in on all of his vitals, <laughs> like a doctor. I had to make sure he was okay. Everything checked out fine. But he said, I can't keep this pace. I said, this is what you do to be an Olympian. You got to work seven days a week because you're catching up. You're doing the extra work. I said, you will not do this forever, but you have to do it until you're that good. And then you can rest. Okay. That's what it takes. So when you get promoted to the next team, you practice with everybody and then you practice after the practice because you're trying, and then you get the starting lineup and then you grow and grow and grow. And guess what? You get promoted to the next team and that's how we rise. And it's the same thing in our business life. If we're willing to do the extra work, if we're willing to see where our deficit is, if we're willing to listen to the coach who's yelling at us and telling us we're not good enough instead of getting mad at them, right? If we're willing to listen to the feedback, but that takes a lot of confidence. We can't turtle. We can't turtle when someone tells you you're not good enough. So um, isn't there a chance? So you've got this executive who just got this big promotion who's already doing well and he's working seven days or he or she is working seven days a week. Isn't there a chance you burn out? Well, yeah, you know, when it's hard, you got to really like, you got to really get your body and brain at that level. If you want to play at that in that league. I mean, listen, if you're the CEO of Morgan Stanley, you're doing all nighters. You're not like, I'm tired. I want to go to bed. I mean, I have a, I have a friend of mine who is up for that job. And she told me, I don't have all nighters in me. She was up for a CEO of Morgan Stanley. And she just said, I've got three kids and I can't do the all nighters. I'm going to stay in, you know, in the third seat. So, you know, you, you have to, yes, you could burn out. I mean, it's hard to be the president of the United States, you know, um, you, but you have to, but, you know, in this case, he, the reason I told that story is because he was ramping up. He was ramping up to that level. So I said to him, you're not going to have to work seven days a week forever, but you have to get it until you're good enough. See, once you learn the skill, like once you become, once you get in the starting lineup of the team, you're not practicing after the practice anymore. You're good enough to just practice at the practice. 
You see what I'm saying? Then you're good enough because you got your, and now you're good enough and you're in it and your body's grooming. But some, but here's what you have to know if you want to be a champion, you have to know when you need to do the extra work. And you have to know what you need to make yourself perform like an Olympian. Like I said to you this morning, I had to run, you know, to wash my brain to get it ready for the next day, right? You got to know what it takes to be a champion and you have to watch yourself and build. Hmm. So, so that brings me to our, our next question, which is, um, and we've talked about this more than once and I, 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 I work on it consistently. I'm, I'm still struggling with it, but that, it brings us to the concept of grit. So how, how do you get up at 4.30 in the morning and go to the, the, the skating rink or do, do whatever? How do you get yourself to do the stuff, that hard work that you know you need to do you need to put in the seven days a week then you need to put it in the all-nighters when maybe you're not feeling it and, and maybe that's tied into uh sales often hit a slump any advice for pulling out of that and uh, so how do you pull out of a slump and how do you get that grit by the way i don't care if the rest of you care i'm listening Liz. <laughs> <laughs> right because we all first of all you know um the number one thing you have to do is believe in yourself you have to have faith in you and you have to have forgiveness because we all hit a slump and we all don't want to get up at 4 30 in the morning and we all want to eat donuts or whatever you know like we all want to not you know do that stuff you know we all want a break we all want to feel sorry for ourselves okay so we all that so so you know like i said you can't turtle like you can't like you're human and you're, you're going to have really bad days and you're going to have really, you're going to have days that you're going to lose your faith and you're going to not have the fight in you. And that just makes you normal. And so you've got to be able to forgive yourself for that moment, that day, that series so that you can get back up. That's the absolute number one thing. Um, and then you got to get back up. And you got to get the excuses out of the way because the biggest thing I see people do is make excuses. And the reason why excuses are a problem is because they trick our brain into thinking the reason we're not doing something is because of something else. And the reason we're not doing something is, is really something inside us. You know, we'll make an excuse. Well, I had to do this for my kid or that or this or this. And, you know, they sound like good excuses. They usually, you know, they can sound pretty good. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it wasn't delivered or you didn't do the work. Whatever needed, whatever really needed to get done. So there's something in here. And that goes back to that transformation. You got to heal. You got to figure it out. So is it not so much about forcing yourself? It's healing yourself so that you're willing to do the work? Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's just forcing yourself. Sometimes it's saying, you know, I just got to do this. You know, I mean, I'll give you an example of myself. I, I told you last night, I, I was like, I know I need to act. My brain was so tired from the day and I knew I needed to do a hard, hard workout. Cause I know if you do a hard workout, it, 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 um, releases something in your brain that gives you brain recovery. And I knew I needed brain recovery because I have a hard day to day and I knew I needed it. But I also knew that if I ran on the treadmill in my house, I would quit. I knew I would quit. I knew I wouldn't work out hard enough. 
So I set myself up for success by forcing myself to go to a class where they were going to work me out and I knew I wouldn't quit. And once I got to the class, I just, I didn't even think of quitting. I just followed everything they told me to do. <laughs> and next thing you know, I was ex- like, work, I had a hard workout. Was exa- so sometimes, sometimes you just have to set yourself up for success. And if I had gone on the treadmill, I would have quit. And then I would have gotten mad at myself. And I would have thought, oh, why don't I have the self-discipline to do this? I used to be this amazing athlete. I don't need any of that. I just signed up for the class. <laughs> so I'm saying you got to know. Sometimes you have to know you know, where your touch points are and what you need to succeed. Now, granted, at another point in time in my life, I get on the treadmill, I'll be fine. I won't quit. I just know that's what I needed. Right. So It's so funny because um, I know you're a human, but the word Liz Bentley and quit never occurred that you would even think that if I got on the treadmill at home that I would quit. It never occurs in um, in my realm of possibility. Yeah. It's really I, just knew, I just knew I would. I knew, I mean, I just knew myself. I knew I was going to quit. I knew I was going to like, I don't know, just whatever, not have it in me. I knew I needed somebody else yelling at me last night to make, cause it was seven 15 and it was a long day. And I had a nine o'clock lacrosse game to go to, <laughs> you know? So it's like, I just knew I needed somebody else. I need someone else to be in control of, of the workout. And I needed to not be on me. You know, but that's not, by the way, I didn't think that then. I just, I just needed it. But I, so I knew myself well enough. It's like, I knew myself well enough to know how to set myself up for success in that moment, you know? And that's what you have to know about yourself. So sometimes you need to know, I need this. Or like, sometimes even with exercise, you need like an accountability partner. Like it's good to go running with someone because they're going to call you and then you're accountable to each other. But you need it in all kinds of things. Like, I know people who do it in, in work and sales. Like it's so hard. The hardest thing to do in sales, the number one thing that is so impossible to do is what? What's the hardest thing to do in sales? Hardest, hardest. Perfect. No one, yes, cold calls. No one in the world, everyone would rather sign up for Root Canal all day long, eight hours of Root Canal instead of five minutes of cold calls, right? And the research on that is off the charts. Like it basically says again and again that everyone would pick open heart surgery with no anesthesia. <laughs> I'm kidding. Liz, I, I often say I'd rather live in my car than ever have to cold call again. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And I so, teach people how to do it. That's right. So it's so, 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 so we know that. So we know we have to have all kinds of help to help ourselves do it. So an accountability partner where you're like, okay, you've got a cold call. I've got a cold call. How about we do it on at, at nine o'clock and then let's call each other afterwards and brag about how many we did or cry about how many we didn't do. But at least we're like showing up together. Let's partner up. So, it, you know, sometimes in life, we just need to know, have fail safes, right? So that we know what we need. And, and, and just so we're clear, like I'm not always, I had success last night and now I'm bragging about it, but like, I didn't have success on Wednesday night, you know, whatever, you know, like it's not always that easy. There's plenty of nights and plenty of days you think, ah, that wasn't my best. That's not my best. That's not me and my best. And that's okay. That's where that forgiveness piece comes in. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. So, so, you know, uh, how do we acknowledge that we're human and actually truly forgive ourselves? Because I think a lot of people, myself included, oh yeah, I forgive me, but it's still sitting for me right here in my chest, as you know, and we hang on to that. How do we truly forgive ourselves? Well, again, like a lot of times that goes back to the transformational coaching of finding out what is it really you're not forgiving yourself for? Because it's usually something that's not like 
you know, not the not cold call. Usually it's not something that's small. A lot of times it can be something bigger that's really at the root of it. But at the same time, so you should be doing that work. You should be investigating what is it I'm not forgiving myself for and how do I get inside of that and understand it so that I can, because if you're not forgiving yourself for something big, why would you forgive yourself for something small, right? So it bleeds into all these things. But if you, if you haven't quite yet figured, forgiving yourself for that something that is so big, then recognize, scale things. When you make a small mistake, it's a small mistake. Don't make it a gargantuan one. Be able to put perspective on stuff. It's like, you know, we always talk about how the crime doesn't fit the punishment. Yes. Right. The crime doesn't fit the punishment. Let it go. It's just a small, it's a small, all it was, was a small mistake. It wasn't anything more than that. And being able to recognize that and then move on, you know, and when it's a big mistake, okay. So what I see, what I see when people make big mistakes, they do the opposite. They punish themselves for the small mistakes. And when the big mistakes come, do you know what they do? Stick their head in the sand, stick their head in the sand, pretend like it was nothing. Pretend like it was nothing, stick their head in the stand, pretend like, oh, it, was, it worked out for the best. It's better that it was this way. Or, you know, like they get fired by a big client. I say, well, you know what? They were difficult. I mean, you know, I hear this all the time. When my, when my clients get fired from big clients, which happen all the time, because, you know, it's the course of working with lots of people. I had a lawyer the other day fired by a big client. And it, it, in some ways it was a good thing because he, he works for one of the top law firms in the, in the world actually. And there, are, it, it made, some of it made sense, but we still went through all the things that were missed that he could have done better. Okay. And that was all of the growth. So it was, and it was really valuable. And then it pointed out, okay, these are things I need to be doing with clients right now. These are current clients I should be doing. So, so sometimes when there's a big loss, I see people try to be too optimistic or too positive or look at the bright side or not, and not feel the pain. Hmm. We're, not to, we're not supposed to not feel pain. Pain is part of the journey. When the coach tells you you're not good enough to be in the game, that hurts. You're not supposed to get mad at the coach. You're supposed to look in the mirror and go, okay, what do I need to do to be good enough? And I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people that that's when they start numbing themselves, overeating, drugs, alcohol, uh, pornography, whatever their their you know thing of choice is, and and we we don't allow ourselves to feel the pain because pain hurts. Who who wants to hurt? But, but I think you're saying, and everybody wants to hurt. That's the biggest, that is the biggest problem we have lived with in the last century, not century, the last number of decades. There has been such a false advertising around this understanding that everyone should be happy. Do you know how many parents, I've got three kids. Do you know how many parents I've heard say, I just want my kids to be happy? What on earth does that sentence even mean? Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, so you want your kids to have pain and suffering. That's what you're saying. Cause that is what you should say. I want my kids to have pain, to struggle and to thrive. 
because that is what thriving is. Happiness comes from hard work. Happiness comes from struggle. Happiness comes from leaning into pain, moving through it and growing into something better. It's the caterpillar who turns into the butterfly. Okay, that is what happiness comes from. It doesn't come from just, I don't know, trying to have an ice cream. That doesn't make you happy. Happiness, and here's actually a shift that is, we've been talking about a lot lately, is that we're never going for happiness, we're going for fulfillment. Because happiness is temporary and fulfillment is a lifetime. And fulfillment is full of pain because it's from our pain that we grow. Pain comes, we need to learn to lean into it, not lean away from it, right? We lean into our pain to grow. So the coach says, you're not good enough. The, exec, the boss says, no, you're not getting the promotion. Okay, what do we do? Do we go numb ourselves? No, we go, why not? What do I need to do? What do I need to learn? Where are my deficits? How do I grow here? So you're not saying happiness is a bad thing, but, but it's unrealistic and, and really not human to think that you can just be happy all the time and that it is that, that, that the struggle and the pain and the hurt are part of the human condition and um, that we're, we're going to be far more successful, far more fulfilled if we go, oh, you know what? Well, like you and I have talked about, uh, I want life to be easy and I want life to be fair. And it's actually neither. It's, that's just what's so. I want it to be that way, but it's not. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? I think it's shifting the entire mindset. I think it's understanding that happiness is a temporary feeling like sadness is a temporary feeling. Some days I'm, you know, and that, I mean, it's, it's fine. And it's, it's not even the goal. Happiness isn't like you, you're, you'll feel a sense of happiness in your life in general, if you're, if, if you're reaching for fulfillment. So what we're, the entire mental shift and everything you said was correct. Yes. So let me just answer. Yes. Everything you said was correct. And let me add to it that it's shifting our mindset into understanding that pain and discomfort aren't bad. There are places we need to go into if we're feeling them. We're not supposed to lean away from them. If we feel pain and discomfort, if we lean into it, we'll heal it. If we lean away from it, it'll always stay there. Hmm. And then we're just faking it. And then that's where we go to numbing is because we just don't even know what to do. And so we're reaching for fake happiness. So if I smoke pot or I drink or I'm feeling fake happiness in the moment. In fact, I don't even think you said, you said, you know, you want, we want life to be easy and fair. I don't even think that's something we should be thinking about. I don't even like, I don't even understand why it shouldn't even be on the table. We should want to feel fulfilled and challenged and excited and inspired. And none of those things might be easy. All of those things might be hard, but who cares? We're feeling fulfilled, excited, challenged, inspired, interested, jumping out of bed because we're inspired and interested in the day in front of us. Mm. And, and that's always gonna be hard. If we are inspired and challenged, we are jumping out of bed to do something hard. We don't jump out of bed to do stuff that's easy. It's not that interesting. Yeah. It, it's almost like as a human race, we've set ourselves ourselves up for failure by saying, here's how we're supposed to be. And, and I'm going to give an example. And I'm a little stunned that I'm going to share this. But um, I, I remember the very first time we spoke, 
you know, about two thirds of the way through, I was bawling my eyes out. And I'll admit it to you guys, I often bawl my eyes out when I'm talking to Liz because she does help me do work on my inner self and there's there's pain that has to come out. And, and you know, we've, we've kind of been trained that you, know, you don't cry in front of other people, that's weakness, especially for men, you know, crying in front of people. And, and you know, I struggled while I was doing it that first time and still have in the back of my mind every time I was like, oh, I so respect Liz and I, I don't want her to think less of me and I can't believe I'm crying again. And, you know, like I did an hour and a half ago, I'll, I'll admit that too, you know, I had a session with Liz this morning and uh, totally did not expect that it was going to go there. But, you know, we got to something that was incredibly deep and, and useful and bawling my eyes out. So are, are we really, have we really set ourselves up as a society to, to almost fail by, by saying we have this unrealistic expectations of what a woman should be of what a man should be? Um, I think that we are evolving as a society all the time in understanding ourselves and understanding the world around us. And I think we will always be making mistakes and always growing and always doing it better. And what we've learned a lot about men and women is a lot of the messaging that men were given and that women were given in the last couple of decades was false advertising. <laughs> so men were told, you know, don't be weak, don't be vulnerable and, um, you know, uh, and be brave and courageous and, you know, don't ever be scared. And that's just impossible. That's not a possible feat. How could you possibly grow without being vulnerable? How could you possibly become strong if you can't be weak? How could you not be scared when you're doing things you've never done before? I had a client who was a female came to me the other day and she said, is there something wrong with me? Because I have been asked to do this gigantic pitch for business I really, really, really want. And I am, a, and I'm scared. She said, I'm scared. Is there something wrong with me? Does it mean that I'm not good enough? And I said, yeah, let me be very clear. You should be scared. You're not good enough yet, but you're going to fake it and get it and become good enough. Because that's exciting. And that's what we're going for. Of course, you're scared. Because you're not be scared. You just got called. You just got called to the next level. And by the way, you might not get this pitch but you got in there, you got an up at bat, let's get another. And then fake it till you make it, get that big business, okay? And you're not gonna be ready, so you're gonna have to work overtime, you're gonna have to practice after the practice, but then all of a sudden that big client's just like anything. Now let me go back one second, because then that big client's just like all your clients, right? And then by the way, then you're gonna get called to the next level and you're gonna be terrified. <laughs> you should be continually terrified, I, and I am, by the way. I'm continually terrified every time I get called to the next level, which happens, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> so let me say what women were, the messaging women were given was um, don't take the lead. Don't be assertive. Uh, don't be confident. Uh, don't take charge. Be submissive. Be obedient. Be caring. Be kind. How wrong is that messaging? There's nothing wrong with being caring and kind. There's nothing wrong with being strong and courageous. But we need to be all things. Sometimes we need to take the lead. We absolutely need to be confident. Sometimes we really need to be assertive. Right? We need to be all things. Hmm. So, so I was about to ask you another question about sales. But um, so how does a man who traditionally is expected to be strong 
Um, how does he show his vulnerability and weakness to a woman that he's interested in without being seen as a, a wimp and, oh, I wouldn't want to, you know what I'm saying? I mean, oh my God, I'm so glad this turned to dating. <laughs> because that is really what it's all about. <laughs> I say sales and dating. No, it's, uh, by the, and by the way, this is how coaching goes for everybody in the audience. It's like, it goes from work to parenting to dating, right? And this is, and by the way, that's the question everybody really wants to know. So the, so the answer to that is that we, what do we do as a man? How do we show our vulnerability when we want to be strong? You know, the thing about vulnerability is vulnerability creates um, intimacy. And in relationships, the biggest thing we, the biggest thing that happens in love is that we love each other warts and all, right? We love each other warts and all. And so we can't, we can't be in a relationship if we're afraid to show our warts. And we can't really be in intimacy if we can't be vulnerable. And it is hard for men because um, especially men when they're with women wanna be brave and strong and confident and lead the way and be in charge. And I mean, not all men, I don't want all men who are listening to feel that, that that's the mandate. But a lot of men do feel like that, especially when they're with a woman that they feel really protect. And men also have such a, a sense of protectiveness when they're with women, right? They really like to be the protectors. But- um, Aren't we hire, hardwired that way? I mean, isn't that from caveman days? It, it does feel that way. I certainly, I even saw it in my son when he was like a mid and a two, you know, he was already, um, uh, um, so, um, so what I find is that, um, um, but they still, they want to be protectors and they want to be all those things, but at the same time, they have to, um, they can't be that all that strong if they can't be taken care of. And the only the only way they can really be taken care of by a woman is that if they get vulnerable. Those and when I when I say taken care of, I don't mean like someone makes dinner for you. Like that's lovely. That's a lovely way to be taken care of. It really is. There's nothing better than like someone making food for you. It feels so good and felt so loving. But it's only food. Like it is, and it feels and so much love can be transferred in those moments of like of those small gifts. But what it but taking care of someone is something that happens on the inside of your body not on the outside so in real intimacy we take care of each other on the inside so as a man as much as you might be the protector and you might you know do all those masculine things if you can't let yourself be vulnerable and say what your real truth is you can't be with someone who can love you inside and out and loving someone in life is about loving the inside of them not just the outside of them yeah, it's it's funny how in a year of working together, we've never actually had this conversation. Uh, I've, I've never brought this up and it's just not my experience. So here's my experience with dating and relationships with women. Women want a guy who's sweet and going to make them laugh, except that's what they say. It's just not what the evidence is showing me. And I could give you example after example. So I guess I'm going to have to still struggle with this one, but I do want to move on to a sales question uh, because this I is. I don't know that. I don't think that that's true. I think that, but I also think that intimacy is really hard for both women and men to get to in general okay. and human beings. 
So getting to real intimacy, first of all, remember the only person you're fixing in your lifetime is you. So, you know, what you want in the relationship is the number is the number one thing. And then finding someone who mirrors that and can do that. Cause there's a lot of women who don't know how to get vulnerable. And obviously there's a lot of men who don't know how to do that either. Real vulnerability, real vulnerability is something totally different. So knowing how to do that is a whole nother story. Hmm. Okay. We might be talking about this next next time when we speak. We might need a whole nother hour. Jeff, when you start your relationship live Facebook feed, I will be your first guest. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, uh, you know, I was on your website preparing for this and I, I was looking at some things which I, I, you know, wasn't really that I don't think of when I think of you because I think of healing the inner journey. And um, one of the things you say you know, what, what can salespeople do to build deeper relationships with their existing clients? Because we all know it's much tougher to get a new client and it's much easier to uh, work with a client that already trusts you. So what can they do to build deeper relationships? Right. So retention is obviously like one of the biggest things in sales is that you, you want to have the recurring business. The number one thing is don't get lazy, period, period, period. Never take your clients for granted. And um, and. And really, I really mean that on a deep level, because number one, you have competition who are trying to take your clients and and number one. But more importantly, like always be assessing their needs, always be thinking of giving them the next next best thing. Always be thinking about how do I take them to the next level? What's their new need? How do I make them smarter, better, more fabulous in their space with my products or with whatever it is that I'm selling? And how do I continually connect to them and understand them? One of the most important skills you can have with clients is listening. So with your, you know, with the people that you already have, it's really listening to them. It's really understanding them. It's really being able to go deep with them and get them and, uh, and know their needs. Sometimes know their needs that they don't even need. They don't even know. They don't know they need. So, um, and I think the biggest mistake people make with clients they already have is that they get lazy because they're chasing, you know, chasing the ones they don't have. Mm. And, and th th that, that brings me to the next topic. You, you, you know, and this is something we have talked about a number of times and that since we started talking about it, I've shared it with salespeople, coaching clients and uh, corporate clients a, a million times. Could you speak to uh, one of my favorite words, empathy? Oh, empathy. Yeah. So, um, so empathy is probably one of, when we, when we talked earlier about, you know, sales, the keys to success in selling, um, I, I, like the three that just popped in my head, if you want to be a great salesperson, if you master these three things, you will be a great salesperson. And the first one we talked about already was getting your ego out of the way, getting yourself out of sabotaging the sale, which you do all the time. We all do, you know, it's just a, it's something that humans have to practice. The number two thing is that listening skills, being able to listen for meaning. And again, you have to have your ego out of the way to be able to listen really clearly, but listen to what your clients are really saying and understand them. Because the number one thing people want in life more than after food and water is to be understood. People want need and want to be understood. Okay. So in order to understand someone, you have to have to listen for meaning. 
Okay. And Jeff, this is pretending that just you and I are on the call right now. What I'm going to tell you is that (laughs) (laughs) that's what happens in coaching, right? You feel understood, right? Absolutely. A million percent. Yes. That's the listening for meaning. That's not listening to a word. It's listening to what someone's really saying. Okay. And feeling understood is one of the greatest gifts in the world because so much of our life, we walk around not feeling heard, not feeling understood. Right. So as a salesperson, listening for meaning so that your client feels understood. I'm really frustrated that they're screaming at you. Okay. You get your ego out of the way and you listen to what they're really saying. You, you don't, it doesn't matter that they're screaming and yelling. You're listening. What's going on? Why are they so angry? Now we lead to the third thing, empathy. Okay. So empathy is exactly all these things. Empathy is about really meeting somebody emotionally exactly where they are. So someone's furious and angry, rather than taking that on and being like, why is this person yelling at me? We instead empathize and go, wow, they are so upset right now. They're so upset. What do we need to do here, right? So empathizing is really, now I wanna be very clear. Um, In empathy, we don't walk in someone else's shoes. We can never know what it's like to be anyone else, but we can empathize with sadness. We can empathize with fear. We can empathize with anger. We can empathize with all emotions because we felt them all. We have felt them all at different times. So we're gonna meet somebody and they, Uh, They're going to be telling us, oh, I have all these problems financially and da, 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 da. And maybe we don't have any of those problems. Maybe those aren't any of our issues, but we don't go into judgment. Judgment is you are bad and I am good. We go into empathy, which is that's not my problem, but I understand how hard that must be because I know what hard looks like because I've got other issues that are hard. We all face hard, all of us. Every single human faces hard. Mm, Um, Now I wanna talk about judgment for a second because that's really important here. So the two things that we go into instead of empathy is judgment and sympathy. Both of those things make us, um, both of those things are bad because they make us good and someone else bad. So sympathizing sounds like it's such a nice thing, right? But really when I feel sorry for you, okay? When I feel sorry for you, I'm putting myself up here and you down here because you poor thing, you poor soul. (laughs) You have this whole big gaping character flaw and weakness and problem in your life. And I can't imagine just because my life is perfect, right? So in sympathy, we're kind of doing that, even though I exaggerated you know, the, I exaggerated it, but we're kind of doing that. So when we're selling, we never want to be in sympathy. So someone's like telling us, oh, I'm really stressed because my business is struggling. We're not like, oh, you poor thing. We're in empathy, which is like, oh, I get it. Yeah, that must be really hard. That must be really scary. See the difference? Empathy, I meet you at the same level. Sympathy is I put you down. Now, in judgment, I do the same thing. Ugh, your business, you're struggling with your business. What's wrong with you? I mean, obviously you should have made that other decision and you should have done this and you should have done that. And, you know, and now I'm in judgment. You know, I don't mean, why don't you do those cold calls? What's wrong with you? 
I mean, why did you go for eight hours of root canal? <laughs> but, you know, so because <laughs> that wasn't fun. So I'm just saying in judgment, we judge people. And again, we judge people out of our own insecurities to make ourselves feel better. It takes a lot of confidence to be in empathy. It takes mm -hmm. a lot of healing inside of ourselves to be in empathy. Okay. Now, let's talk about judgment a little bit more because this is a really important time to understand judgment, especially during a contentious election. So there's something called um, there's something called discernment. There's judgment and discernment, and they're at the same level. Discernment is I disagree with you. I don't see things the same way you do, but you're not a bad person because we disagree with each other. Judgment is I disagree with you and you're bad. One of the things that the country is struggling right now the most with is judgment because we have decided there are bad people and they are good people and both and multiple sides have decided that in general. There's been very little discernment, which is- and We all know we're right. What? We all know that we're right. <laughs> At least that's a belief system that's out there. So discernment is, I don't see it the same way you do. Now let's understand something. How do we get to our belief systems? From the way we're raised, from the culture we were, we were born into, from what we know, from the way we live. There's so many things that come into our life, right? And how we form our opinions. So many things. I mean, I've met people all over the world living in so many different environments from, you know, literally an Eskimo in Alaska. It's a very different experience, you know, than, I mean, everyone has very, very, very different upbringings. And we, from those upbringings, we form our opinions, right? And we form how we feel about things. So in discernment, we can see all that. In judgment, we become blind. We can't see, we can only see our way. We can only see our truth. So, so back to sales in ju judgment will be the death of a sale. You go into judgment, even if it's only happening in your brain and you're not saying anything that anyone could hear, that is the death of a sale because trust gets lost the second you go into judgment. I, I love all of that, especially the part about understanding. Uh, you know, I, I often, you know, we, we chat and I'm like, how does she understand me so much better than I understand myself? But sometimes it takes somebody outside of you. Like, like yeah. one of the things I talk about when I, when in doing pipeline reviews, when you're uh, discussing people's you know deals, you know, I can give you advice that you'd never think of because I'm outside of you and it's hard. Uh, and let's see, Carol Krugley, Hey, double K says a great and important conversation about vulnerability. Dennis Lombardi says, focusing on what it's in it for them and be honest and genuine. And Lee Green says, Liz, I wish you could hear my loud outbursts as I keep agreeing with you, laugh out loud. <laughs> We're running out of time. And I think, you know, I could talk to you for days and days, uh, but there is one other concept. And I think you briefly touched on it that I think that everybody would benefit from. And we've discussed it a million times. Um, how do you fix somebody else? And, and can you, or should you? No. No, no, and no, no, the answer is no. No, period. No, you are never here to fix anyone else. You are only here to fix yourself, period. By fixing yourself, others will heal around you and grow. The biggest place that people conflict with this is in parenting. As a parent, you're really here to take care of someone. You're really here to nurture someone. You're really here to love them, guide them, support them, grow them, push them, yell at them. <laughs> All those things we do as parents, right? 
Um, but you are never here to fix anyone. And by focusing on fixing someone else, you're just making excuse for not showing up to the person in the mirror. But the biggest mistake, the biggest thing I see, right? Everyone comes to me to fix their team. And what are they doing? Pointing at everyone else in the room, but themselves. Okay. The only person we are here to fix in this lifetime is yourself. And every minute you spend trying to fix someone else is an avoidance of looking at your truth. Because by fixing you, you heal everything. And most people spend their time pointing the finger at everyone else and talking about how they need to fix themselves. Yeah. And, and, and the world and relationships shift like in an instant when you acknowledge that. And, and, and again, I'll share something that you, you're, you're aware of. Um, you know, through our working together, I came to the realization, you're laughing because you already know what I'm going to say. Uh, I came to the realization that I had spent my entire marriage and the 15 years after it trying to fix my ex-wife, who has certainly what anybody would, would acknowledge is often a challenging personality, but I spent a lot of time making her wrong and trying to fix her. And the day that I came to the realization that I, it's not about fixing her, it's about fixing me, and I acknowledged that she wasn't wrong about everything and that she wasn't 100% responsible for the, the marriage dissolving and that I was at minimum 50% responsible. That caused a cosmic shift uh, in my myself. And when I actually acknowledged that to her, as you know, I actually told it to her on the phone. Um, our relationship sh shifted in an instant. I mean, like no kidding like that. And ever since, it, 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 I no longer dread when I see the phone ring. I no longer dread when I see an email. And we're now laughing again when we talk to each other. We're, we're so much better partners in raising our children, which is, is crucial. So that was kind of a softball because I wanted you to talk about you can only fix the person in the mirror. Uh, Liz, we only have like two minutes left. Any last words of wisdom for everybody? Well, just to, just to highlight what you just said is that, you know, you never want to, you said I... I was 50% responsible for what happened, at least it would happen in the marriage. You're 100% responsible for you. And that's a big job. You, meaning the proverbial you, all of us, is a full-time job. So it's a full-time job. And being in blame of someone else is just a derailment of not doing the job you're here to do. So you're here to do the job of you. And that's a full-time, hard job to show up to. And when you do, you feel fulfilled. And when you feel fulfilled, you feel really happy. <laughs> and you feel good. And you jump out of bed after a really good night's sleep. Ready to go. Sometimes. Um, no, but, and, and sometimes you don't, because sometimes life is really hard and you got to lean into it. I'm working on the good night's sleep thing. <laughs> so Liz, thank you for everything, of course. Uh, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for generously sharing. I hope that everybody got out of it what, what I was hoping that you would. Um, you're very special to me. You're a very special human being. If, um, if somebody was looking to get in touch with you or one of your coaches to work with you, how would they do that? I just go to LizBantley.com. And that's B-N-T-L-E-Y, yes? Yes, just like the car, Bentley. 
<laughs> no relation. <laughs> and as far as I'm concerned, you are a Bentley. Thank you so much, Liz. And to everybody uh, who is listening today, again, I hope you got as much out of this as I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I need to send Liz a check because this was for me like a session. And uh, as I end every time, thank you so much for being a part of the Sales Pro Network. And please remember, sales is a game of making things happen. Get out there today, work on you, and go make sales happen. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Thank you, Jeff. Bye. Bye, everybody.